Well, as a church, we've been reading through Psalms. And this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 88. Next week is going to be Psalm 32. And so what I've been asking you to do, what I, what I think you should do as, as, as throughout the week, what we've been asking you to do is, is read the psalm we just, we just preached on, read that in the morning, and then at night, read uh, the psalm that's going to be preached the next week, which would mean this week, you read Psalm 88 in the morning, and then you read Psalm 32 at night. And the idea there is we just read and we read and we read and we internalize, we marinate in, and what we do is, we, as it says in the Scripture, we hide God's Word in our heart. If you've been reading Psalm 88, if you've been reading it this last week, you maybe have realized it's not, a, it's not the most encouraging psalm in the world. As we find the psalmist in a place of despair. And as maybe he would say, the pit of despair. I thought to myself, as preparing for this, I thought to myself of times when I found myself in the pit of despair. I'm going to share some of that this morning. But I thought about you, too. And about maybe the times in which you found yourself in the pit of despair. What does that feel like to you? What does that look like? What does that sound like? What, what are the elements of, of the pit of despair? And when you find yourself there, how do you respond? How do you, how do you get out of that? How do you respond in, in that place? And if you find yourself in that place this morning, maybe you think to yourself, yeah, I, I would like to know. What is the answer? How, if, if I find myself in the pit of despair, how do I get out of that? How do I respond? And so this morning we're going to see the psalmist in probably one of the, the darker, if not the darkest, psalm of the Psalter. And so with that being said, oh, it's a big sell, isn't it? Like, yay. Buckle up. We're going to start in Psalm 88, verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Let me read that again. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. You know, we've been looking at some different psalms, and this is a psalm of, of what's called lament. There are different kinds of psalms. People will classify them differently. So sometimes you'll get a psalm of thanksgiving that's going to say, Oh God, thank you for this. And uh, God, you, you provide great, wonderful things for your children. Those are the psalms of thanksgiving. You might get royal psalms. This is like psalms that are like, God, you are on your throne. You know, the, the heavens are your throne. The earth is your footstool. You are king. You are in charge. Psalms of like, so royal psalms. There might be liturgical psalms. So these are going to be uh, psalms that maybe they would have, they would have sung. So like we were singing worship songs, it might have been something like that. You can look at Psalm 120, I think it's 134, I think 134, which is the Psalms of Ascent. They're the Psalms that they would recite as they went up to the temple. But then you get the Psalms of Lament. And Psalms of Lament always come from a place of grief and sorrow. And often the 
the request of a lament is that, God, that you would hear my prayer. So the laments always come from this place of grief or sorrow. And often you'll know that it's a lament because there's this request. God, would you hear my prayer? Would you hear me? It's interesting because, because I don't think, for the most part, I don't think we're concerned that God doesn't hear our praise. But we are concerned sometimes that he hears our grief. So I've never talked with somebody and they said to me, they've never said to me, like, I just, I just, I mean, this morning I was praising God. I was like, God, you are good. God, you are awesome, right, and holy. God, thank you for all that you've done. And then I thought, I don't know if he's hearing me. I don't know if he's, I've never heard anybody have that concern. And so, and so we're not concerned that he hears our praise, but we are concerned that he hears our lament. We're more confident that he hears our praise. We're less confident that he would hear our lament, to which I would think, then what kind of God is he? Is he just the kind of God who will only hear us say nice things about him? Or is he a God who will meet us in our broken places? My guess is for you, you would much rather hear praise than, than, than complaints, right? Somebody says, hey, I just, man, I just want to tell you, like, you did a really good job back there. And, like, man, the way you did that, you're like, no, stop, stop it. No, stop it. I mean, it's just, just stop it, stop it. Right? We're okay there. But, but if someone's coming to us lodging complaints, I've got issues. We want, we don't, we, we want to avoid those conversations. But the interesting thing is that God actually says, I, I, I hear them both. I hear them both, and I hear them equally both. The problem is, is, is that you, you're just not as confident that God hears your cry for prayer, for like of grief and sorrow, and maybe even critique. And there's your praise. So laments are often this petition, God, would you hear me? And we're going to see the psalm like, would you hear me? A lament is often more, a cry than it is a prayer. I love that. Would you hear my cry? A lament is often more a cry than it is a prayer. Can I tell you that my, my prayers of thanksgiving sound a lot different than my prayers of lament? A lot of like my prayers of thanksgiving are very methodical. They're put together. They're well constructed, right? So I might even go like a prayer of thanksgiving. Oh, dear Lord, thank you for this beautiful day that you have graced me with your presence. Thank you for the wonderful things that you have bestowed on, on me. I might even throw like a thy and a thee in there somewhere. Like a, how for, for, for thou art the bestest ever. And I mean, I, I, mean I, I form those really, really well. But, but when I'm lamenting, when I'm grieving, when their sorrow has grasped my soul, those, those prayers come out ugly sometimes, right? And I love how, how he starts this. Like, oh, God of my salvation. That's a good start, right? Like, okay, if it's like, oh, God of my salvation. You go, this is going to be good. And then the prayer just goes sideways. And I go, that's how actually often my, my prayer life can go. Oh, gracious God. Why is everything falling apart? Oh, Lord, who sits on heaven, who reigns from above. 
what in the world is going on with me? And so I love how he starts it, and then it goes sideways. So he says, oh, God of my salvation, I cry out to you day and night. In other words, all of the time. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Verse 3. For my soul is full of troubles. And my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead. Like the slain that lie in the grave. Like, the, like those whom you remembered no more. For they were cut off from your hand. And so he goes, would you hear my cry? Why? Why should you hear my cry? Because my soul is full of troubles. You know what it's like to have a soul full of troubles? Is your soul full of troubles? I'll tell you this. There's a direct correlation between the trouble of your soul and the cry of your heart. It's interesting when, you know, on a good day, I think to myself, I should pray more. I should pray more. I need to pray more. But I'll tell you this, when my soul is full of troubles, nobody has to tell me to pray. They are just continually coming out. And so I tell people, I say, when they say, well, I want to I pray more, I want to pray more. Like, be careful with that prayer. Because an increased prayer often only comes at, at, at a soul that is full of troubles. And so what he says here is, my, my soul is full of troubles. And I've got no strength. That's a bad combination. It's one thing to have like a soul full of troubles to say, that, but, but I got the strength, I got this. Sure, it's a bad day, but I got this. It's another thing to have a soul full of troubles and to go, and and I've got no strength left. Do you know what it feels like to have no strength left? Remember, there was a time, well, several years ago now, um, I was getting ready to, to meet with a friend. And I knew my friend was going to ask me, like, how are you doing? And I, I knew that I needed to, like, in a, in a really good way, it sounds kind of weird, but I needed to confess to him that I was like I, I have no, like, I have no strength left. Which is, by the way, a humbling confession in, in, a, in a culture where strength is a virtue. And so I had to go and I had to say, I'm like, I, I, I got to tell him. Cause I, like, he needs to know because he wants to know how to pray for me. And I, I'm not going to just mail this one in. So I said, I have to, like, let him know that I've got no more strength left. And if you ever played out a conversation in your head, you're like, well, I'm going to say this, and then they're going to say this, and then if they say this, I'm going to say that. And so that's what I did. And they're in the car, and I just thought, I've got no, as I'm driving there, I think, I, I, I got nothing. I've got no strength left. And I'm going to tell him when I see him, when he says, how are you doing? I'm going to say, I've got no strength left. To which he may respond to me, what do you mean by that? And I thought to myself, if he asks me the question, what do I mean by that? Like, even the thought of that question, like, crushed me. Because I go, ah, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't even have enough strength to think about 
what it's like not to have strength. And so sure enough, I showed up, and, I, and he says, how are you doing? As, as planned. And, uh, and I said, I've got no more strength left. And then I inserted myself again before he could say anything. And I said, and please don't ask me what I mean by that because I don't even have the strength to answer that question. And he says, okay. The psalmist, he tells us what it's like. He says, he says when, I, when I lack strength, what I mean by that is, this is what he says, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, right? I'm like the one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lies in the grave, like those whom you remember no more. I'm counted among those who go down to the dead. So, so when the psalmist says, I don't have any strength, he's, what he's saying is, I belong to the dead, I've been set free among the dead, and I only find rest in the grave. Now, if somebody came to you and said, guess what I found? I found belonging. I found freedom. I found rest. You'd go, amen, hallelujah. Where'd you find that? In the grave, among the dead, the places of Sheol. Oh, and by the way, I feel like God has forgotten me. And I've been cut off from his blessing. Have you ever felt like God's forgotten you? And that you've been cut off from his blessing? What can make that thing even worse is that as you, as, as you feel that, you look around and you see people that God has not forgotten. And his blessings have been bestowed upon them. Which then just makes it worse. But listen, listen to what he's saying. Because what he's saying is, I, I, I belong to the dead. I find freedom with the dead. I find rest with the dead. And you, God, you have forgotten me, and you have cut me off. Let me, let me say this a little bit differently. God, I, I resonate more with death than I do with you. I've got more in common with those in the morgue than I have with those in church. I don't know if you've ever come to church and have felt disconnected. As people around you celebrating and singing the praises of God, you may think to yourself, I I have nothing in common here. Maybe you even thought that this morning. This is what the psalmist is saying. I'm counted among the dead. I belong to the dead. But for you, I've been cut off, forgotten. He goes on then in verse 6. You've put me in the depths of the pit and the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut up. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, Lord. I spread out my hands to you. And so he says, not only have I found myself here, but according to the psalmist, what he feels like at least, 
It's like, oh, and, and so I, I found myself here. But really what he's saying is that, God, you actually, and you put me here. I've got no strength. You know, people are like, what does it mean to be, have to be in despair? Well, he tells us, right, I've got no strength. Cut off from God. Isolated from friends. I've got nothing left. And God, and you, you put me here. In fact, actually, when he says this idea of the, the waves, and you, you overwhelm me with all of your waves, the idea is that, is that as I'm praying to you, and I'm praying to you, I come up for breath just to be hit with another wave. And then I pray, I pray, I pray, just to come up again and then be hit with another wave. And it's one thing to, to it's, it's, it's frustrating, it's frustrating to pray to God, right? And to, to feel like he's ignoring you. It's another level of frustration to pray to God and things just get worse and worse and worse. Another wave hits. Another wave hits. To which you may even think to yourself, then, then why do I do this? If all I'm going to do is pray and pray and pray and call out day and night and call out day and night just to rise up and to get hit with another wave, am I just a fool? And so he tells us the recipe for despair, right? No strength, a weakness, an isolation from God, and feeling isolated from people. And verse 10. Do you, do, do you work wonders for the dead? Do you, the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in abandon? Are, are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? And so he actually rattles off these the rhetorical questions. And rhetorical questions are questions with an implied answer that are making a statement, right? Didn't I ask you to clean your room? Implied answer, yes. What's the statement you're making? It's not clean. You're highlighting that, right? Do you think I'm an idiot? Right? Rhetorical question. I'm hoping the answer is, you know, do you think I'm an idiot? The, the, answer, the implied answer is no, which the, the statement is, then stop treating me like one. And so the, the rhetorical questions have an implied answer, with, with, and it's making a statement. And so what he says, and I'm going I'm to paraphrase a lot of what his rhetorical question is. At the, God, God, at the risk of stating the obvious, this is a really bad testimony. Like you're not, don't, don't put this story, don't put this story on the website, right? Because you're not going to get a lot of followers if you do. Do, do dead people praise you? Right? I mean, so I'm going to the grave. That's not a good sale. Right? God, if what you want is followers, I'm following you. I'm faithful to you. I'm headed to the grave. I am dying here. There's not going to be a lot of people that look at me and goes, we should, we should follow that guy's God. And actually what we see is just the opposite, right? What do they do? They scatter. I think to put it in our context, it'd be something like, 
Dead people don't go to church, God. God, just at the risk of stating the obvious, dead people don't tithe. You know? Dead people don't evangelize. You want me to praise your name. You want me to do your work. I'm just telling you that in the pit of despair, that's not the place to do it. It's not happening. And so, we see this, we feel this, and it goes, God, if what you want is praise and glory, I'm just going to be honest that this story isn't doing it for you. Have you ever informed God, like through prayer, how glorified he would be if he answered your prayer? Right? God, oh, okay, God, listen to this one. God, listen to this one. If you, like, so I applied for this job, if I get that job, let me tell you of all of the ways you will receive the glory. Right? The extra income means extra money to missionaries, to the church. You're welcome. If I'll have greater influence in my job, and so I can, I can create environments that are, are honoring to you. And God, would you, would you grant the job? Or, or this idea like, you know, as you pray for the house, you go, God, if you grant us this house, if you grant us this house, we will welcome your family. We will welcome your people. This will be a place where people gather to study your word. And so what we're saying is like, God, would you give me favor to my prayer? Because if you do, look at all of the wonderful things that will take place. And so I, I thought like it was kind of like, it's like what we do is we submit our business plan to God. Like, God, here's our business plan. And I'm going to show you the return of investment that you're going to get. And that God is up there looking at all of our business plans. Like, well, I don't know. This one's a lot less work, but a pretty good payoff. And so we're going to answer Josh's prayer. But John's prayer, it's a little, that I means a lot more work, not a good of a payoff. And so if you could strengthen up the payoff option, then maybe I'll, I'll grant that prayer. As if God's like, he's looking around, looking at our, our ideas of how, how he should best be praised, and then granting our prayers accordingly. In fact, actually, I, I think it's a lot of what, what lies at the, the base of the like the health and wealth or the name it and claim it stuff. I'm not sure if how familiar you are with this, but like basically God will, if you're faithful to God, he will grant you health and he'll grant you wealth. Why? Because if you're faithful to God, he grants you health, he grants you wealth, then people will look at your life and they'll go, I want to follow that God. What's, what's your secret? The secret's Jesus. Because he's made me healthy, he's made me wealthy, I'm going to follow that God. Or the name it and claim it. Right? So you, so you name something in faith, and you go, God, I, 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 in faith, I believe you're going to give this to me. And when you do, you will be glorified. But there's a problem with the health and wealth. There's a problem with the name and claim it. Is that the problem is that the health and wealth, it doesn't make room for sickness and poverty. The problem with the name it and claim is that nobody ever names and claims suffering, right? Nobody ever says that job loss, that's mine. That cancer, that's mine. That broken relationship, that's mine. And so then my, my question then 
Because the name it and claim it, nobody ever claims suffering. But then my question becomes, what do you do when suffering names and claims you? Right? Nobody ever names and claims suffering, but I know many of you in this room have been named and claimed by suffering. So what do you do? And I will tell you this, is that if your theology is only built on the day of victory, but doesn't have room for the day of despair, then your theology will fail you in the moment in which you need it the most. To be told, like, yeah, I mean, nobody ever has crisis of faith on the day of victory, right? Nobody ever does. Nobody ever says, like, you know, they, they got the job. Like, hey, so I got the job. Like, oh, great. And I'm just like, man, why does this always happen to me? Like, why do I always get the job? Like, nobody ever says that, right? And I prayed. I asked her to marry me. She said, yes, congratulations. I'm like, yeah, but where's God in all of this? Nobody ever says that. Why? Because we don't have crisis of faith in the day of victory. And if your theology is only built that makes room for the day of victory, but not the day of despair, then your theology is going to fail you when you need it the most. And so, he's trying to tell God, God, don't you know you want to receive glory, this story is not one that's worth telling. For this story is not the day of victory, but the day of despair. He goes on and then in 13. But I, O Lord, cry to you. I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why, why do you cast away my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. And that's how the psalm ends. You know, the last line there, my, my companions have become darkness. It's actually, it's, it's a little confusing in the Hebrew because it can be translated two ways because you have got companions or friends in darkness. And either it can be this idea that you have called, basically you've caused my friends to go dark on me, so that you've caused my friends to abandon me, or the other one, which is, you know, just as encouraging, uh, darkness is my only friend. Psalm ends. But I love what he says in 13. But, I, but, I, but oh Lord, I, I cry to you. You know, a lot of times people, people think like, oh, the lament, the people with the laments, they're, 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 the, the, the psalms are, are hopeless 
and, and from the faithless. And I go, no. They're not from the hopeless and the faithless. It takes a lot of faith to experience verses 1 through 12 and then to come to verse 13 and say, but God, I, I cry out to you. And it's one thing to say, well, maybe this was like a, this was like a day. This is how I am. Like, I don't know, God, I've been praying like all day for this. Yeah, yeah, and I'm prepared to pray all day tomorrow too. That's one thing, but this is for him, it's not like a season, it's not a, it's not a day, a week, a month, a year. What does he say? This has been true for me my whole life. From my youth up. And I continue to cry out to you. I continue to cry out to you. And really kind of more of a, a literal translation of when it says my prayer comes before you. In verse 13, my prayer comes before you, which sounds really nice, right? Like, like there God is. And, like, and then my prayer, it just kind of, it comes before you. But there's actually a more literal translation that says my prayer confronts you. In other words, I'm confronting you with my prayer. In other words... God, you have made some promises, and I got some questions. And my prayer is going to be a, a recollection of those promises in connection with those, those questions. I'm going to confront you with prayer in, in a very respectful way, but I'm going to confront you with prayer. You, you've given me promises, and with those promises, I got some questions. Because these promises, are not, are, they're not coming to fruition in my life. And that's actually what we see then right then in verse 14. So then why have you cast me away? Why do you hide your face from me? Two questions. You said you'd draw near. So why do I feel like you've cast me away? You said that, that you would show me your face. So why is it that I feel like you're hiding from me? The lament often confronts God in prayer. And you know that you're confronting God with prayer sometimes when you're asking the question, why? Have you ever asked God the question, why? It's probably when I most feel like this child. Because children ask the question, why, a lot. God, why? Why? Why this? Why that? He's been asking this question since a childhood. And then what he says is he goes, and, and, and not only that, but the, the darkness is closing in on me. I remember once I was sitting in my counselor's office. And my counselor asked me, the counselor says, Josh, how do you, like, how do you feel? I was like, ah, I don't, I don't, I don't even know. My counselor's like, can you, can you put words to it? Like, and I just thought about, like, I just thought, like, just emotionally how I felt. And I go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't. I, go, I feel like the darkness is enveloping me. And my counselor's like, well, that's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. <laughs> I feel like it's closing in. And I feel the, the things of the psalmist. I feel, I feel the darkness. I feel the shunness. I feel like God isn't answering me. I feel like I have no strength. And I feel like I have no power to change anything. That's the pit of despair. And that's where we find our psalmist. And actually I love how this psalm 
doesn't end with, uh, with like, a, we're going to wrap it all up and put a shiny new bow on it, right? It just leaves it there. And it leaves it there in the same way in which we often find ourselves. And so the big question is, what do we do? And I think if you, if you look at this psalm, the pit of despair, one of the things you could see is that you see Jesus all here, right? He was the one, he was the one who was shunned by friends. He is the one, the father turned the back on the son for our sake. He's all over this. But as I've been reading this through, like, actually I wanted to return back to the rhetorical questions, right? The implied answer of no with the statement that it's, that it's making, And so the rhetorical questions were, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfastness, is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in an abandoned? Are your wonders known in the darkness, your righteousness in the land of the forgetfulness? Where he assumes the answer is no, but my question is to you is, what does the gospel teach us? If we look at this psalm through the lens of Jesus... Died on the cross for our sins, buried in the grave, risen on the third day. Is this what the gospel teaches us? Does the gospel teach us that God doesn't do works for the dead? Does the gospel teach us that the the dead don't rise up to praise him? Does the the gospel teach us that his love is not declared from the grave? Does the gospel teach us that his faithfulness is not declared from the grave? That his righteousness is not declared from the grave? That his wonders is not declared from the grave? Is that what the gospel teaches us? Absolutely not. And not only does it not teach us that, it teaches us the opposite, right? That, That God does raise up the dead, that the dead do praise him. That the, that the grave is, the grave not only is it, is it not void of his love and faithfulness and righteousness, but it's actually out of the grave that his love, his righteousness, and his faithfulness is most proclaimed. And so what I love about the psalmist is the psalmist is asking rhetorical questions, just like, because no, 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 no. Is this what happens, God? No. And so I love it. Do, do the dead rise up to praise you, God? No. Yes, they do. Well, okay, okay, okay. I'll give you that one. But, but is, is, is your love declared in the grave? No. It, yes, it is. In fact, actually, it's, it's the pit of despair that rises out of that. My glory my praise. When dead men start praising, when dead men and women start praising, I get glory. Not only is the grave, not only is it not void of love, faithfulness, and righteousness, and wonderful works, but the grave is the foundation of my love, my righteousness, my faithfulness, and my good works. And so for what we see out of the psalm here, 
is that the pit of despair becomes the foundation of praise. And I think a lot of what we want is that we want the glory of the resurrection without the despair of the crucifixion. We just want the victory. We just want the day of victory. We don't want the day of despair. And yet here comes God through the gospel who says actually it's through the day of despair that I am glorified the most. And you, you're not going to see the day of victory until you first go through the day of despair. Have you ever prayed like Psalm 88? <laughs> I have. And maybe this is the first time you've even read it this morning. You go, yeah, I've said similar things. I mean, Psalm 88 is raw. I love Psalm 88 because it's, it's very raw. But, but truth be told, I've prayed prayers like this, like cried out like this. And I'll come to church, I'll meet with a friend maybe, and I'll go, so how, how's, how's your prayer going? I'm like, oh, it's okay. You know, it's all right, you know. I've, oh, I've got some questions, but it's all right. And if what was played back to me in community was the prayer I had just prayed, I'd be mortified. I'd be mortified if what I said in private was then made public. And yet we find that's exactly what's happened here in Psalm 88. That tells me something, as I think it should tell you something, that God would include this. By the way, Psalm 88 did not sneak its way into the Bible, right? Are we okay with that? Like, Psalm 88 was put there by the wisdom of the Spirit. It's not like it, it just made it in and God's like, you know, then there's the canonization. Why are we, it's been canonized now and the angels are celebrating and God's flipping through that. Hey, hey, no, we cut that. Who put that back in there? Who put, you know, who put that back in there? That didn't belong in there. God says, by my wisdom, by his wisdom, by his infinite wisdom, he says, I want Psalm 88 in there. God, you don't look so good in Psalm 88. That's okay, I want it in there. It tells me something as it should tell you something. Two things that it tells me, at least. There's more, but I'm going to keep it to two. Two things that it tells me is, one, you don't need to be ashamed of it. You've prayed like this. You don't need to be ashamed of that. You don't need to feel guilty for that. God said in his infinite wisdom, sometimes this is how my people pray. Sometime in the pit of despair, this is what they sound like. And I come along and I read this. I go, oh, I've sounded like that. Except for when I sounded like that, I felt like I was faithless and without hope. And yet God is saying, no, sometimes this is what my people sound like. Sometimes this is actually what it sounds like to have hope. And sometimes this is what it sounds like to be faithful. This is what my people sound like. Don't be ashamed of it and don't be guilty. Don't feel guilty for it. The second thing that it tells me is that this, this is an important part of the story. Interestingly enough, we never think that, the, that the, the pit of despair is the important part of the story. We always feel like we need to get out of it 
so that we can get back to our regularly scheduled program, right? We can get back to it so that the the blessings of God can be bestowed upon us. And may that be true. But this, your pit of despair, my pit of despair, the psalmist's pit of despair, is very much an important part of the story. So don't devalue it. Don't neglect it. Don't trivialize it. Don't ignore it. Don't bury it. Don't hide it. Why? Because the pit of despair is an important part of the story. The day of victory is important, but so is the pit. And so my prayer for you is if you find yourself this morning in the pit of despair, that you would respond in in, in similar ways. It's okay to be in the pit. And the beautiful thing is that we know through Jesus is that that the Father did not leave the Son there. And so I can speak with confidence that, that God will not leave you in the pit of despair. It says that if we share with Him right in His death, we will also share with Him in His life. And the fact that you find yourself maybe in the pit of despair should not, should not discourage you from that, but actually encourage you that you will share with him in the day of victory. And my prayer for you, especially for those who find themselves in the pit of despair, my prayer for you is that God would give you the endurance and that he would tell the story. And that on the day of victory that he would give you deliverance and that he would receive the praise. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the honesty of your word. We thank you that your word can both be encouraging and discouraging at the same time sometimes. I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that find themselves in the pit of despair. I pray that you would encourage them this morning. I pray that they, would, they could go out of here with confidence that you hear them, that you know them, that you see them. Circumstances may not change, but you have not forgotten them. You have not abandoned them. I pray that in their weakness that you would strengthen them. I pray that in their their loneliness, you would gift them community of friends and family around them and that you would gift them your presence. For those who feel like the darkness is enveloping them, I pray that, that the light would come in. And I pray that you would give them the endurance that they need for the day of despair so that they may experience the day of deliverance. Oh God, would you grant them endurance to see the day of deliverance and may they look forward to that day of deliverance with both confidence and anticipation. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.